Okay, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, the, the uh, New Testament uh, uses the phrase one another over 40 times directly speaking about uh, how we interact with one another, uh, instruct one another, encourage one another, teach one another, love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, encourage one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, uh, instruct one another, exhort one another, love one another, love one another, forgive one another. Uh, clearly, a significant part of what we're supposed to be about is one anothering one another. And we can't one another one another unless we know one another. Uh, out of our stories, we're able to encourage and care for. Uh, you're, you're, you're not alone in this. I've been there too. Wow, thank you. Um, out of our stories, we're able to instruct one another. You know, that happened to me once, and here's what I learned. Uh, out of our stories, we're able to forgive one another. Um, apologies for my language, but we were having a conversation the other day in the office, Crystal Klein and I, and uh, it, this, you have to imagine this in the best possible way. It was awesome. We both wanted to laugh and cry. Crystal looked at me and said, people suck. <laughs> and then she said, I do too. And it's realizing that about ourselves that frees us and enables us to forgive one another. And we don't know one another to instruct one another. We don't know one another to bear with one another, to encourage one another, or to forgive one another, unless we know one another's stories and share our stories as well. So we're going to do some of that this morning. We're going to uh, share some stories. And um, I have got uh, two of the most godly people I know and one absolute reprobate who are here to share their stories this morning. And I'll let you guess which one is which. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, nobody said anything, Nate. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I would like to, uh, start with my lovely wife, Diane. So, for those of you who are newer to Gateway, you will occasionally hear me tell stories about Diane. She rolls her eyes every Sunday on the drive home when she hears some story that I've told about her, uh, and this is, uh, her opportunity to tell stories hopefully about herself and not much about me. Um, so, uh, Diane, they were reflecting on the most significant moments in their lives, and um, you and I talked about that uh, in your life. So, um, yeah, your, your, I mean, your first significant moment would be what? Well, probably just my growing up years in, in uh, North Carolina, and um, my childhood was really pretty uneventful, honestly. Um, I can't think of any real big tragedies or events. Um, certainly there were things, but um, 
by and large, my growing up was uh, pretty stable and loving, and um, I'm really grateful for that. Not everybody has that story. That's an unusual really, story, really unfortunately. I grew up with four sisters, and yeah, so busy household, a lot going on, a lot of things, but um, generally pretty uneventful. So really grateful for that. You got the four sisters thing. <laughs> so when I came into this home, it was shocking what a chick house it was. <laughs> I had to get used to this. So, okay. Um, then I would say probably... Um, moving maybe to my junior year in high school, um, I was invited by a girl that was a senior, and um, we had become friends that summer and fall, and she and about eight other uh, seniors, um, real leaders in our school too, uh, got permission to share their testimonies with the school and they got permission to use the auditorium we had a big auditorium um, after school one evening they got to use the auditorium and they got permission to use it for that and she had said I'd really like you to come and so I thought sure I'll support you so I went and um, one by one they just shared what God had done in their lives and this relationship that they had with Jesus. And these were high school students. These were high school seniors, yes. And um, God just touched my heart in the midst of that assembly of people. A lot of people came. And they made this kind of invitation that said, if you would like to, you know, accept Christ into your heart, you know, come on down to the stage. So that evening in the back of my high school auditorium, I got down on my knees and ask Jesus to come into my life. But I would have to say that I don't know that I fully, fully knew what that meant for me. I mean, I did and I didn't. I knew it was something that, you know, I, I felt called to it. I felt God pulling me down there. But I don't think I knew all that that would encompass for my life. So were you religious up to that point? Were you? So we were a church-going family, but we were a Sunday morning family. And then we came home, and I, I, I don't really feel like there was, you know, sort of God talk or anything through our weeks, or, uh, you know, or our lives like that. I actually didn't really like going to church. I thought it was boring, and none of my friends went there, so it wasn't that great of an experience for me. Um, but there was faith of some sort going on. So religious, probably more that than anything. But having a personal relationship with Jesus that was new to me, and, and no, I didn't really know that. I was like, what? That, that was just a piece I feel like had been left out, and because I remember the night I did accept Christ, I came home and told my parents, and they looked at me funny, and they said, well, we thought you already were, <laughs> and I, I, I kind of knew when I went back upstairs, I thought, I don't know that they really get what happened to me tonight, so yeah. Okay, so um, as with all of us, um, I mean, we're not going to be able to tell your whole story, but that's good. <laughs> uh, everything after that was not always up and to the right and awesome. So um, the, the, the next thing that occurred to you was was what? Probably the, a really significant event in my life was I was dating a guy. Um, we had started dating the summer before my freshman year in college, and. Um, we were, got really serious about one another, 
and when I was a junior, he was a senior, um, he... In college. In college, he began experiencing really bad headaches and just some signs of something that if you put it all together, you maybe could have figured it out, but, but we didn't know at the time. And um, he was just really feeling bad. And in the middle of a week during our, our college, it was a fall semester, he went home to get checked out by his doctor. And they looked in his eyes immediately and saw pressure from what turned out to be a brain tumor. Um, so that moment on was, you know, just incredibly hard and, and scary. We didn't know if he was going to live. They knew a whole lot less back then than they do now even. Even what they could see on the scan looked like a very small tumor today they would have seen it much more easily but it was actually just the core of the tumor that they saw it was kind of wrapped all in his brain and but they did surgery and removed it but you know some things were you know kind of altered in that uh, surgery um, so he didn't walk for a long long time his he lost a lot of memory um, couldn't remember nouns things like that it was really kind of interesting. he knew who I was but really difficult time, but, but we stayed together and, and dated the, I mean, we're still going out the rest of that year, but it was really hard. It was really difficult, and things had begun to change a little bit, um, and I went through a real struggle of, I loved him, but I didn't know if I could do this for the rest of my life, um, so I ended up ending the relationship after about a year and a half after that happened, but it was an incredibly difficult decision and hard, and I felt guilty and really depressed, and it was, it was tough. It was tough. He did live and went on to live and, you know, has a full life, but, yeah. How did you respond to that um, difficulty and ultimately depression? What? So I'd graduated at this point from college and I moved back home and I was trying to find a job. I ended this relationship, uh, so it was really tough. I started drinking to kind of numb myself, to feel better, to not think about it. Um, and it was, it was a pretty dark time. Um, I felt like I went through a lot of that alone. And I was a believer and I had leaned into God, but I... At this point, I felt like, are you there? Is this real? Are you really real? Because this was a real, I think, trying time in my faith, more than any other time. Um, so that was a really, really difficult and dark time. And I remember one night I'd been drinking, and I got down on my knees, and I said, God, if you're real, if you're really there, if you really exist, I need to know. Because what is all this? Am I, you know, what am I believing in? And it was pretty incredible. I went to bed that night and got up the next morning, and I got a phone call from a girl that had married a guy I went to a high school with, and they were living back in my hometown. And she said, "Hey, I heard you're back here too." She said, "I'm starting a Bible study, and I'd really like you to come." And Honestly, the first thing that hit me was, God, wow, that's incredible. You heard my cry last night, and this morning I got a phone call from somebody who said, 
you know, come be part of something. And I just, I knew it was God. I knew he was calling me and drawing me. And so I said, sure, I'll be there. And I ended up going to her house like the next night. And there was a bunch of great girls there. We had an awesome time. And one of the girls that was there said, hey, I'm looking for a roommate. Are you interested? And I was wanting to move out from my parents' home. And I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. So the girl hosting the study said, hey, the house next door is for rent. And, you know, so long story short, we ended up living there. And lots of girls, we kind of rotated through that house through the years. So it was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, we don't have time to thoroughly tell the next sterling adventure in part of your story, but uh, not long after that. That would be you. <laughs> yes, okay. I was waiting for that. Okay, so. so dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, do some Jaws music, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, <laughs> uh, it was actually a blind date. We were kind of set up on this blind date. And this is kind of funny, I don't know why, but I'd always dated short guys. I think I made them look taller. <laughs> and I opened the door, because I'd never laid an eye on him. We had cell phones and all that stuff. I think you called me on a landline to say, do you want to go out? And, well, there was no, it was either that or yell. Yeah, so. pretty much, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Morse code, Rapunzel. I don't know. It's pretty, pretty <laughs> bad. <Yeah. laughs> Telegraph. Yeah, mate. exactly. Um, so I opened the door, and the first thing I thought is, oh, he's so tall. <laughs> and then, um, but immediately, my first response is, I, I just liked him right away. I, I didn't even know him, but I just liked him right away. That big toothy grin, I guess, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that started at just a short courtship of four years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it, you should probably add that um, during that four years, I always love when she tells this part of our story, <laughs> during that four years, uh, we broke up. Well, you broke up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I was an idiot, we, and uh, this was before Facebook, before cell phones, so we didn't communicate. I was in Massachusetts, she was in North Carolina, and we didn't communicate for six months. That's right, yeah, six months. And uh, Diane likes to say it was one of the best periods of her life, um, and why is that? What happened? Well, I do want to first say that when when we did meet and first go out that those first months and year, you were so amazing at helping me get over a lot of that trauma from my former relationship. Because as I would tell, as I told the story to you, and you, you knew some of it already, um, you just made me feel um, loved and you have nothing to feel guilty about. And something about that, maybe it's because I was already had a big crush on you, I don't know. But just relieved a lot of that guilt from me. And when you said you have nothing to feel bad about. Um, anyway, so just throwing that in there before you broke up with me. Yeah. <laughs> so I um, noticed there's no applause for that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was funny. I was working with a group of high school girls at the time, and um, they formed an I Hate Eddie Club. <laughs> They all came to our wedding, too, so they <laughs> celebrated later. But, yeah, so through that time, um, 
why it was so significant is we in, it, Ed said, you know, I'm just not ready, I think, to move forward. I think we'd been going out so long, it felt almost inevitable that we would get married. And I don't think he was ready for that yet. I'd already been out working for a while. Um, so it was just different, a little bit different stages in our life. And also, I think you just kind of weren't in the same place I was. Although we didn't talk about it, really, and there wasn't, like, this pressure of it. I think it was just sort of this unknown thing that was going on. But um, it was funny. Then I was devastated. So we broke up on the phone because that's kind of what you did back then. There wasn't... We weren't in the same city. You couldn't Zoom and see each other. Not that that would have made it any better. But um, I remember hanging up the phone, and um, I was devastated because I really did think this was the, the man that I was going to marry. And um, But the first thing I did the next morning was I opened my Bible. And I just said, God, I am going to lean into you in this, and I, I just want you to speak to me. I want I want to hear from you. And it was one of those kind of weird things I tell you not to do, was just sort of open your Bible and read because you can go to some kind of crazy passages. But I actually did that that day, that morning. And I went to Second Chronicles chapter 20. And it's when King Jehoshaphat is uh, surrounded by an army. And they come and tell him, we're surrounded. And I love this. The first thing it says is, alarmed. Jehoshaphat so you know it, it took him by surprise he wasn't expecting it and I kind of felt like that too I really wasn't expecting it but his first response is to turn to God and it just wow I, I couldn't read it enough and then I loved this in verse 12 it said um, we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you and that just I uh, was my verse it just was you know, God, I really don't know what to do. I really thought this relationship was going to go, you know, going to be the, the last one and that we'd marry. And But I just knew that I needed to turn to him and that my eyes were on him, no matter what was happening around me. And God just did incredible things through those six months because what I realized was that Ed had become kind of on the throne for me. He was, the relationship was the all in all. He was, you know, going to take care of me. He was going to, he was going to be everything. And, you know, God loves us so much and he's so good. He's like, "Mm -mm, that's not right. You don't have that right. He doesn't belong there. I do. But I didn't get that fully until God really got a hold of me through that time. And just began to speak through through his word, and every day was just an incredible time with God, and people noticed it in me, which was really cool. You know, just like, you've been, you've been with the Savior. I was like, I have, and it's good stuff. So by the time we ended up coming back together, I said to you, I want this relationship, but if it doesn't work out, I'm going to be okay. God's got me, and I knew it. It wasn't just, you know, words. I was, I was certain he'd take care of me. Thank you, ma'am. So, um, Nate and Letitia, uh, your coming together was also a significant part of who you are and a significant event. Um, 
How did you get there, Nate? Wow. Um, it's going to be hard to follow Miss Diane on that <laughs> testimony. By the way, we used to call these testimonies back in the day, but Ed said, we're not doing testimonies today, by the way, just warning you, but um, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I have a lot of notes here, and you're, you're not preaching today, right? No, okay, go. Right. Just checking. I didn't think so. Um, you know, I, I have to say, like, that was awesome, by the way. Um, I don't have a great testimony. Now, I have other testimonies of people that I could share that are awesome. And I say that because, you know, I'm sort of similar, I think, to Diane as I grew up, you know, in an environment. My mama, she taught, she taught us about Jesus. She, taught, she took us to church. Um, I can't really remember a time in my life when, I, and I thought about this, I, I thought, you know, I don't really remember a time in my life when I didn't think Jesus was a real person. And that was because of my mom and the church, you know. Now, I'm not, gonna, that's not, I'm not bragging or saying anything like I was special or anything like that. I mean, I had the luxury of growing up like that. I think that's one of the things that occurs to me when I hear somebody who didn't have that advantage and they didn't know Jesus at all. And they hear the story, and they're, they're moved, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're converted. That's amazing to me. That's an amazing testimony. Um, my testimony is not that amazing. But, but um, I, did, I did a similar trajectory, I think, to what you described, Diane. Worse, way worse, okay. Um, but um, in, many, in many ways. But... We grew up, um, my, my mom, she was a Christian, as I said. My dad, um, I don't want to say he was uh, a non-believer, but he was not a practicing Christian. I just remember him always taking us to church and dropping us off and coming back and picking us up. Um, my dad died when I was really young. Um, he, was a, he was just such an awesome man. <laughs> he just, I mean, I, my memories of him are just him carrying me around. <laughs> Uh, you know, pretty much. But he taught all his boys except for me because I was too young to play music. Um, so that's where we got the music from. But um, by the way, my mom was a Pentecostal. Um, and so we went to Assembly of God Church. And um, so on a scale of 1 to 10, like the Pentecostal energy level during worship was an 11. <laughs> Um, a gateway energy level is probably a four or five <laughs> compared to that. So, um, anyway, um, that's not the, I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying it's very different. Um, so I don't get off track. Um, I think because of us growing up in that environment, we didn't really understand, I think like you're saying, we didn't really understand, well, we understood the concept that Jesus died for our sins and all that, but I don't remember it, us being pressured or anything to necessarily accept Christ as our Savior until we got older. Um, I think there was sort of a concept of like age of accountability, like you weren't, you know, as a little kid, I was just like, hey, Jesus, what's up, yo? Um, <laughs> You know, I just talked to Jesus like he's my imaginary friend or something. But 
as I got older, um, like I noticed like they would have things like altar calls and things like this in the church. Well, one of my big brothers, he got uh, saved, saved. Okay, and when I say saved, saved, I mean like soul winning saved, like carry a big packet of tracks around that say you're going to hell <laughs> if you don't get saved <laughs> and handing them out to anybody and everybody that he came across, uh, much to my embarrassment sometimes, believe me. Um, so when I was in my teenage years, um, you know, I was starting to um, kind of, you know, act up a little bit like teenagers will. And my brother, like, came to me and my mom and he said, you know, I think it would be good for you to go to a Christian school. And I was kind of, you know, I had a teenager attitude and I was like, whatever. Uh, I, no, but whatever, you know. Like, well, I just, I went and checked it out and, and uh, I was like, all right, I'll try it for a year. And if I don't like it, then I'll, I'll probably stop. And then every year he would sell me again. And so I, I went to the Christian school um, and, um, you know, I had some problems in the Christian school, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, I was kind of a hillbilly, um, and I hadn't gone to Christian school before high school, so <laughs> I was, like, a lot of the people in the Christian school had gone to Christian school exclusively, <laughs> so they were a lot more Christian than me, <laughs> put it like that. Um, after I graduated high school, or I got to my gra close to my graduation, like, um, my brother, he came back and he said, well, you didn't make a total hash of it. <laughs> you made it through. Um, would, you be, would you consider going to Bible college? And I, I just, I said, absolutely not. I said, I'm not, I, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to, you know, I just, I, I don't want to, and I, I think I'm probably going to do my own thing. So he's, he's essentially playing the role of dad at this point, sounds yes. like Nate, okay? Yep. Uh -huh. uh, and he wasn't the only uh, brother that I had that did that, but he was probably the most okay. uh, involved um, as in that role. And so I think it would be fair to say that after I graduated high school, I pretty much tried as hard as I could to get as far away from God as I could. Um, and I think some of that was probably because of um, just I had a lot of anger towards God because of my dad dying when, he, when I was young. Um, and that left a big sort of hole in me that just didn't get filled. And so I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to get emotional about that, but um, there is uh, this, I, I, by the way, I love the parables in the Bible because like it's, to me, it's kind of like um, there's a bit of a, it's allegory, but there's like a kind of a mystery there, you know? And, and it seems like a, a, a special wisdom, you know? It's particularly Jesus, right? He's, he, he's, he's doing something important. Like, that's what you feel when, you, when he starts with a parable. You feel like, this is, pay attention, you know? There's a hidden thing in here, that he, a point that's being made. So, I, of course, we're, it's kind of cliche because we're all kind of the prodigal son, but I really, like, that story, like Luke 15, um, I won't tell the, story, the whole story here because we probably don't have time, but um, essentially, like me, kid, uh, you know, he, he doesn't want to wait for his inheritance. He goes to his dad. 
Um, he's got a brother. His brother's steadfast, pretty good kid, right? He goes to his dad. He says, Dad, I, want my, I don't want to wait. I want my hair in its now. I want to go. I want to go out in the world and do my thing. And so I think very similar to that story, that's really what I did. I mean, so, I didn't do it because of that story, but <laughs> it's so very similar. So you, you say you uh, ran as far from God as you could. Was that your thoughts and your belief system, or was that your behavior, or was it? Yes. <laughs> All of the above. Uh, I, well, I think it's the, the, the first part of that was that I, I wanted to get away from my family. I wanted to get away from my, you know, I was, I was really clearly running away. So I joined the military. I joined the Air Force. And um, I think in a lot of ways that this important thing about church and community is that even though I don't always like it, is that there's an accountability when you're with your brothers and sisters in Christ that when you get away from that, you don't have that. And I think that's part of the problem that I didn't understand is that when I was running away from God and the church and my brother and being saved, saved, um, you know, I was, I, I was trying to escape. And um, God does not release us from our duty. Hmm. I, I don't believe if, he, if you really do accept Jesus, um, my friends in Christian school used to say I got saved more than everybody else. <laughs> one, of my, one of my other friends, he was kind of hillbilly like me. He said, it won't hurt you. It won't hurt you. <laughs> um, so, and this is kind of important, I think, if, when Letty finally gets a chance, I stop blabbering to tell her story. Um, the important part of this is um, for about the next 13 years, I didn't, this didn't occur to me actually till last night. We were both reviewing our notes. And I asked her, uh, you know, like, she's, she's, if I stop talking and I give her a chance here, she'll tell you her story. But the period of time in our lives when I made this decision that I was going to go off on my, you know, on a, you know, a, a really bad vector was about the same time when she, went into a very bad relationship herself. And for about the same amount of time, we went through this transition. This is really incredible to me because we've been married for over 20 years and I never picked up on this before. There was a lot of parallels in our lives. We didn't know that there were forces that were bringing us together. That's really key. That is key. Yeah. Um, I can't emphasize enough that um, I believe that God does work behind the scenes in our lives in ways we can't comprehend or understand. And he does that through other people that he puts in our path. And I know he did that with my, I know he did that with my wife. Um, okay, I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. Um, because uh, Letitia has just been dying to speak publicly. <laughs> this is her favorite thing. So, hand your mic to Nate, unless... I, I took up notes together. Oh, you got to say it into a microphone. Okay. She's got more notes than that. Oh, boy, Letitia. All right, That's so, okay. hold the microphone right up at you. We want to hear from you now. So, what, what was going on in little Letitia and uh, T? 
teenage Letitia and teenage. older went before that that led to led to Nate. So how did how did Letitia get here? Okay, so um, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, so I actually didn't grow up in a home that went to church. Okay, we believed in God, we just didn't go to church. You know, as most Hispanic people we are almost born Catholic, okay? I mean, everybody is a Catholic. Um, and I actually grew up in a lot of different homes. Um, for whatever reason, uh, so my parents were divorced or separated when I was born. And for some reason, I was left with my aunt to be raised, her sister, my mom's sister. And, um, Shortly after that, I was living with my grandparents, and then I went to live with, a, with an aunt, another aunt, before starting to live with my parents, with my, mom, with my dad and his wife. And by the way, she didn't really care for me. So, but through my teenage years, um, some of my friends from school, um, they were very strict. My friends couldn't come to the house. I really couldn't have friends. But there was this girl that lived down the street. And whenever we went to, say, Disneyland, we would invite her to go with me. She asked me if I would go to Bible studies. And I didn't think that my parents would let me go. How, how old were you at this point? Were you a teenager? I was a teenager. Okay. Yeah. Um, probably before high school. And uh, so her aunt used to pick us up every Wednesday to go to the church and have Bible studies. And, uh, but things were not good at home, you know. Um, I was 17 years old when I left, the I left my home. I went to live with a, one of my best friends and her family. And um, I was there with them until um, getting out of school. And then three of us girls, um, shared a condo after that for a couple of years. <laughs> we did go to church every now and then, but not regularly. Um, <clears throat> during that time, I entered into um, a relationship. And shortly after we moved in together, it got really bad. It, it, it went violent. Um, I mean, he liked the fact that for people to know that he had a wife and he had kids. I had two children. And um, he just didn't really want to have very much to do with them, you know? So sometimes when you get together and you think you're in love and things will work themselves out, you know? Well, 13 years later, they were still the same. So I knew I had to, you know, do something, get my kids out of that environment. So. So I'm, I'm going to stop you there. Two things. One, you got to hold the microphone oh, you closer can, to you your mouth. You can hear me? <laughs> Sorry. So keep it here. Keep, okay. keep your mouth on the microphone. Secondly, Letitia, you may not have an answer to this. I asked you the other night, and I, I don't know how to answer it, but you are delightful, uh, second sweetest woman on the planet. Um, how did you come through that and not feel unloved or I think I did feel unloved you know but 
I can hear myself. <laughs> you didn't what? Um, I think I did feel unloved, you know, for many, many years. And, um, but I always had this, um, I always had this tug. I always, I always felt that there was a God. So you decide. And I think that I always felt the Lord because he placed, even though I didn't really have very much family growing up, I had a lot of good friends you know, that, that were there for me, to support me and to guide me. FYI, some of you have that story. And, and the part about um, the tug, knowing that he's there, that, that's what he does. And, um, so you're in this, you're in this difficult relationship and, and I knew I needed to get out. So I had a, a really good friend and, um, if it wasn't for, for her and her husband opening their home to us, uh, she knew how it was. And she asked me, um, she told me that she would rent her master bedroom for me and the kids if they hadn't done that, I mean, and they protected us as well. If they had not done that, I wouldn't have been able to make the move. I would have been stuck, you know? And um, so they're in our lives still, okay? Uh, here's another friend. Um, he was a coworker. Um, he was an assistant pastor at his church and he would hold Bible studies during lunch. <laughs> we would meet. And every Monday, he would ask me, did you go to church? And if I had not gone, I didn't want to see him. I would try to avoid him. <laughs> this is that accountability that Nate was talking about. And if I had gone to church, I couldn't wait to find him, you know, to share <laughs> with him. Well, about five years after my divorce, he told me, you know, you have to tell me when to start praying so that the Lord brings someone into your life. And I go, okay, I go, I guess you can start. Um, not short after that, you he know. He should have prayed harder or different or something. I was the answer to her prayer. <laughs> well, not, not short after that. We at work went on a lunch, you know, co-workers. It was a group lunch. And um, this gentleman was sitting across from me. We started talking. And I recognized his voice. And I go, you know, he was a new hire at work. I go, you know, I think I know you. I think I talked to you before. Because one of my duties at work was to, um, was to send out software upgrades uh, to all the military sites that had our uh, weather system. And, and Nate was a weather guy in the Air Force. And, and in doing that. You had literally yeah, spoken to him on the phone. I did. I would, I would talk to the weather guy. And he was stationed at Offit. She Offit. was flirting with me. <laughs> yeah, he was stationed at Offit at the time. So we went out to lunch a couple more times before he asked me out. And the more I got to know him, I realized that he had a relationship with the Lord. And that was just a big check mark for me. So you had started going back to church, Nate. And yeah, so. I'd say, I, yeah, so I, about the last two years I was in the military, like, I mean, the whole time 
that I was in the military, I was just partying and just, I mean, you think you're living the high life, you know, you think you're having fun, you know, and there's just this steady downward slide. It's just kind of, it's kind of like a cumulative, like, emptiness that you, you start to feel like there's, you, I mean, you wake up, you can't, it's hard to look in the mirror sometimes, like, um, you know something's missing. You may not be able to answer this, but if, if there's anybody watching, or if there's a teenager here, or watching later, or someone in their 20s that's beginning that slide, what would you say? Stop it. <laughs> it's hard to stop it because the, the world is, the, it's, it's kind of... Um, seductive. It's seductive and it's, you know, it's, it's not something, it, it's like a frog boiling in water. Huh? I mean, you, you don't know that you're boiling, but you're boiling. You just feel like, ah, oh, I'm in hot water, it feels good, whatever. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of good analogy. I guess I'm not that good at that. But, um, but definitely, I would say, you, you will not find what you think you're looking for in the world. Okay. You will not That's find good. that missing piece is the Holy Spirit and Jesus. It is what we experience here. It's why the people at Gateway do what they do so awesomely every week, in every ministry, in our church, in every part of God's kingdom. Similarly, people are out there doing exactly that, and that's the thing that's, you can't find that in the world. You won't find that in the world. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, there's so much more to tell, but I'm going to make y'all wrap up. What, um, what was it about Letitia that, that? Right, so as she said, like I actually had finally changed my life. Well, I, I'll say I, 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 it wasn't like a miraculous thing where I went, you know, God booming voice spoke to me and Nate, you better straighten up. You know, I mean, I was probably more the booming voice and, and to myself, but it was the still small voice uh, in the wilderness um, of just, hey, sometimes Ed, when he would tell stories about his kids, he would, sorry, he would say, hey, buddy, like, that's the kind of voice, it was, it was like that, like a, like a father's voice would just say, haven't you had enough of this? And so anyway, um, when we first met, I just, I had a strong feeling like God was already kind of talking to me about, you know, I just, she had a, I had, I, I sensed something in her, like, I could feel her presence, like there was just this really strong, grounded strength and compassion, unconditional sort of love. And so I just was like, we, we went on a date, and I was like, man, you don't want to be with me, man. I'm a bad <laughs> dude, man. I've done a lot of bad stuff. And I started listing off, you know, like, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll run her off. 
I said, are you sure you want to be with a dude like me? And the first thing she said was, you know the Lord. <laughs> and as soon as she said the Lord, everything else after that, I don't even remember exactly what she said about the Lord, but I, I knew I was like, that's, here it comes, you know. Um, and All right, yeah. I'm going to interrupt you. Letitia, quickly, what, what, why, what was it about Nate and that point in your life? What, what it... So I guess I like that he was clean cut, but first of all, I mean, what attracted me to him was that he had a connection. I mean, he was active at church, and I mean, uh, my kids and I were attending church regularly, and I wanted somebody like that, you know, and the more I got to know him, the more I liked him, and uh, his word meant a lot. I mean, whenever he said something, he just followed through. And I wasn't used to anything like that, you know. Um. Go on. <laughs> Go okay, on. so Diane, we'll, we'll give you the last word. Hand the microphone back to Diane. I, I don't know if you have anything to add, but how, how as you look back, how do you see see God's hand in your story and in this? What, what, um... Probably that maybe most significant is, is that God just, we sing that song sometimes, his goodness is running after me. And I like that image because I think when we get far away and we turn our backs or, or we're confused or maybe we've never had a relationship with Jesus, He's running after you. And I felt like he always did that. He, he called me, wooed me. And, you know, I'm an old lady now, and he's still changing me and growing me. Um, yeah. Okay, so you're going to want to hear more of uh, Diane's story. So take her out to lunch or dinner sometime, and take me as well. You Just die. <laughs> you pay and there's a lot more to this story and trust me there is a lot more to Nate and Letitia's story you're going to want to hear uh, their story as well take them out they're rich they can pay um, the most significant story is the story of Jesus that's the most significant human story all our stories are kind of wrapped up in his, in a sense. In that, he has taken all of our stuff, all of Diane's stuff, all of Letitia's stuff, stuff she did and stuff that happened to her, all of Nate's stupidness and his prodigalness. Jesus has taken all of that on himself. He has absorbed that story, and he's released to us his story, his righteousness, his, his goodness. So we celebrate that every Sunday, once in a while in a special way, through remembering his death and his resurrection through communion. We're going to do that quickly this morning before we leave. Lord, we thank you so much for your work in our story. We thank you that during those significant moments you were so present and gentle saying to us have you had enough because there's a better way 
and we celebrate that better way this morning. Um, that we have a better way because of the, the presence on the planet and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of our Savior, God the Son.